And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Culture Calculus. This week, we're very excited to have Jason Jones, Sacramento Kings, again on the show. And we will be talking to Chantel Jennings, who covers the WNBA and women's college hoop for The Athletic. Chantel, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This has been a super exciting WNBA season already, and I kind of don't know where to begin. So, you know, why don't you just like run down? Obviously, the Connecticut Sun are kind of running away here with this league. But where like what what have been the storylines and the teams that have really jumped out to you so far? Yeah, I think Connecticut was a team. You nailed it on the head where. They like to, or at least last season, they played up this idea of disrespect. Like everyone disrespects us and whatever. And I think this year, you know, whatever like poster board material you need, whatever you need to like motivate you, coach, player, I'm not against it. Use whatever you want. It worked. <laughs> I came into this year without Alyssa Thomas, um, who suffered an injury while playing overseas. And the question was kind of like, well, how is this team going to maneuver? And they have... I would say exceeded my expectations. I think the storm is right up there. I expected them to take an even greater step back. And their defense has after they lost Natasha Howard and Alicia Clark in free agency, but they've kept pace with their offense. Brianna Stewart is playing really well. The aces just have a ton of pieces that are really exciting. Chelsea Gray went there from the Sparks. Asia Wilson, obviously the reigning regular season MVP. Liz Cambage, Deere Kahambi off the bench, who's a two-time sixth woman of the year. And so you sort of have all these pieces that make that team really exciting. And then obviously your team, the New York Liberty, yeah, <laughs> they are a team that, again, you, you looked at them and saw second year in the Walt Hopkins system, a huge free agency pickups, good draft night, but just have sort of exceeded expectations. Benaija Laney is playing out of her mind. Michaela Onyenwede, the rookie, uh, you know, six, seven games into the season for most of these teams, I would say she's my rookie of the year if we had to vote at this point. Right. You know, not just because I'm a homer and I love talking about New York teams, but the Liberty did something really interesting in this offseason in trading their number one pick in the draft, right? For a couple of veteran pieces that seems to go against like all conventional wisdom, but it also seems to have paid off here. Well, and they weren't the only team. Seattle then later traded away the number one pick for Katie Lou Samuelson from Dallas, which was a confusing pick, but has also sort of panned out well for them. She's averaging, you know, almost 10 points a game for them has been a consistent player for that franchise. And so, yeah, I mean, it's the WNBA is exciting. There's a lot always happening. The Wings ended up having uh, four first round draft picks, went down to three the day of because of sort of day before trades. Um, but it's been, yeah, it's been a really interesting start to the season. And a lot of these teams either had late arrivals because of overseas commitments, um, but we've also seen players have to leave for USA basketball and Olympic commitments. There's been a lot of early season injuries. And so 
I think what we're going to see is three, four weeks into the season when these teams are full strength, when these players come back from injury or sort of rosters get back to full strength, a lot of teams are going to take jumps, leaps, bounds forward in terms of their identity on the floor. Chantel, we've seen this really interesting thing happen in what seems to be not a big enough league, right? Like that the WNBA, we keep seeing incredibly talented players just falling off of rosters because there just aren't enough spots. What are we actually witnessing here? Yeah, I think that's the thing when I talk to people about the WNBA that they're the most surprised about, that there is at maximum 144 women in this league and that there are first round draft picks that don't make rosters. That happened this year, Natasha Mack in Mm -hmm. Chicago. Like it is not uncommon for first round draft picks to not make a team. It's just the spots are really tight. I think that also sort of goes with there are people who found ways to prolong their careers, to take care of their bodies. So playing 15, 16, 17 years in the league isn't out of the question. But every person who is playing that long in the league, they're they're taking a spot in a good way, right? But There's only so many spots to go around, which means that first round draft picks just aren't going to make teams in this league where veteran play and experience really kind of trumps a lot of other things. And that leads me to ask about in terms of just developmental league of some sort, has there been any talks, any conversation about getting something started to get these players, you know, that first round picks not making teams is, you know, insane. What can be done to maybe somehow create a space for for these young players to still develop and not you know go from I, I can't even imagine the excitement of being a first round pick to going to not making the team and clearly if you're a first round pick it's not a talent thing it's just a matter of space Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also it's such a short time span where, you know, the NCAA season ends in early April, uh, a month later, you've got or not even a month later, shortly, you know, two weeks later, you have the WNBA draft and then the league starts a month later. Um, so you kind of have I like to call it the fastest five weeks in sports um, where you go from Trademark March that. madness to um, the start of the WNBA season. And it's sort of like it must feel like whiplash for so many of these players. but. Kathy Engelbert has talked about this a little bit, the commissioner of the league. And I think it's what they keep going back to the WNBA says is, you know, we need to make sure all 12 of our franchises are really healthy and that they are sort of in the stasis that's really good. The two places where I see expansion happening the most readily would probably be roster expansion. Right now, the most a team can carry is 12. Obviously, that's higher in the NBA. But I think there was a higher salary cap and you could carry more than 12 players. That obviously creates opportunities and jobs for players. And the other thing that's kind of crazy is that they can't have female practice players. And I think that's something that coaches have talked about a lot. It's it's in the CBA. I think it's sort of this idea that, you know, you're going to like stash players, but you can't have non-rostered players on your practice squad. And so a lot of times there's this idea that the WNBA practices against guys and it's like, oh, it's because, you know, men are playing against the women. No, it's because they literally can't have these women potential, you know, first round draft picks who could develop within a system, who could work with coaches and sort of learn from veterans in a way and also sort of learn different systems and be exposed to the league. But that's that's not an option. Well, so yeah, so to Jason's point, I mean, what's the solution here? Is it is it just waiting until expansion is viable? Is it some kind of G League option? Like, what do we do with all of these players? 
I mean, I think it's the first step. The first realistic step would be roster expansion. So letting teams carry 15, but that means more money in the salary cap, right? Mm -hmm. There've been a lot of really good things that happened in the most recent CBA. And part of that was a higher supermax for players, just north of $220,000 a season. But because of that, when you're balancing these rosters, when you have players who are at sort of that high end of the pay scale, we've seen more teams only carry 11 because there's just not room in the salary cap. So that 144 kind of ticks down a little bit to 143, 142, 141. And so there's even fewer jobs because the veterans in the league who deserve more money and have earned more money, the balance and the math and the finances and economics of it all, it gets really confusing. But I would say roster expansion and a higher salary cap are probably the most reasonable first step. And then obviously expansion is something everyone loves to chat about. There's, you know, on WNBA Twitter, everyone wants to see a team in Canada, you know, as someone who lives in Portland... Nashville and Portland, right? Sacramento would love a team back. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's, you know, Jason, you just don't want to cover the Kings anymore. Hey, hey, well, (laughs) hey, I covered the Monarchs for last season and they folded. So people think I'm bad luck. So they wouldn't want me around either. (laughs) It's fun to think about, you know, what could sort of happen. And I think there is growing interest. There's growing excitement. Women's sports are rightfully so on TV more, gaining more viewers, gaining more fans. And and we're seeing that at the college level and at the WNBA with viewership numbers up. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I would love to see the practice player option, you know, similar to the two-way player in the NBA. I would love exactly. to have an option. You know, you know, it's a development player. You know, it doesn't maybe go against your cap in the same way as a, a full contract, but then you can have young players developing, practicing, getting better. And then if, you know, injury, something arises, those players are already available. I would love to see that option in the WNBA. Yeah. And it's funny because Cheryl Reeve, the Minnesota Lynx coach had talked about, you know, with the men, she said women's basketball players are, you know, they're smarter and they're catching on to these things faster. So they actually have to spend a lot of time of their camp sort of molding the men's practice squad to be what they want it to be, um, rather than having these women who've watched the league, who know a lot of what's going on, who know the systems and the players and stuff. And she said, there's also the element of reminding the male practice squad players, like this isn't a tryout for the Timberwolves. Like you're just here to make the links better. Um, But I do think sort of having that practice player option for, you know, there's three rounds of draft picks. And if you're a third round draft pick, it's, you know, almost unheard of to make it into the league. And people who follow other sports might just sort of think that's crazy, but um, having international players who who are younger, who can maybe come over a little earlier and be on these practice groups. Um, yeah. I think it'd be a really, really interesting option for them. What's your sense, Chantal, about how the WNBA is feeling about sending players to the Olympics? Is there any, is there any conversation about not sending players or about players not wanting to go? I haven't heard anything yet. I mean, I think it's um, there's probably a lot of, um, Team USA, keeping people kind of closed off in terms of, um, you know, the narrative um, and what people want to hear, um, whether it's safe or not. But 
Um, no, I think, you know, USA basketball on the women's side is such a powerhouse um, and, you know, sort of like the WNBA, there's a lot of talent that can't even, isn't even in that pool yet. And so I think I haven't heard anything from players sort of talking about opting out of that or anything. And, and they'll have the Olympic break, obviously, in the middle. And then right after the Olympic break, there's a tournament going on within the season called the Commissioner's Cup, where two teams will meet and play for half a million dollars. And so sort of other ways to, in an Olympic year where there's a lot going on and, you know, a post-COVID season where teams are in their own arenas, finding ways to draw even more eyes to um, not just women's basketball, but the WNBA. And the Olympics is an interesting thing for me as well, because they've already come out talking about not having any type of protest allowed at the Olympics and the WNBA is almost anonymous now with players speaking out. I just wonder how the league and the players feel about <laughs> that stance from the Olympics. They haven't, for they haven't even gotten there yet. I wonder how they feel and would take that, especially given how the league has gained so much notoriety for that in the, in the past 12 months. Yeah. And it's something they've been doing far before the last 12 months, but obviously yeah. getting, like you said, that notoriety. Um, yeah. If there's something worth speaking out about, I would I would bet that the women's basketball team for the U.S. will speak out about it at the Olympics. Um, fines be damned, whatever it is, sort of <laughs> situation. I don't see that being a deterrent for them um, as a team, as individuals speaking their mind on things that matter to them. We did get a pretty great viral video from a player speaking her mind. Uh, Liz Cambage kind of did a little takedown of um, Connecticut Sun's coach for basically, uh, you know, to, to try and explain the in-game situation. He was arguing for a foul to be called on her to the ref by basically saying, look at her. She's 300 pounds. Um, and listen, Liz Cambage is a is a large stunning specimen of a human body. Um, she ain't, she ain't weigh 300 pounds though. Right. And she took a little bit of exception to that. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if Tanika can maybe play that clip because it's so good. So something went down uh, in today's game and I need to speak on it because if there's one thing about me is that I will never let a man disrespect me. Ever, 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 especially a little white one. So to the coach of Connecticut, I'm sorry, little sir man, I do not know your name. Um, but the next time you try to call out a referee, um, you know, trying to get a call being like, come on, she 300 pounds. I'm gonna need you to get it right, baby. Um, but there's a point at which she goes, I will never let, never, never, never let a man disrespect me, let alone a little white one. And I think that everyone just kind of like, <laughs> everyone just wanted her to keep going with that. What was your reaction when you first saw that clip and, and just like became aware of what that situation was actually about? Yeah, I mean, I would say I felt a lot of things all at once. I think, you know, like... um, probably every woman who's ever had some random dude comment on your appearance was sitting there like, yeah, like mm -hmm. stick it to him. Like, um, so there was definitely that part of me. There was also just sort of the sports writer part of me that was like a coach said this, like mm -hmm. that is, you know, I am someone that in sports trash talk player to player, I think, you know, it builds rivalries. You can think of some of the best rivalries in sports, like without the trash talk, um, it's not as good as it could have been. And, you know, 
I'm like here for that in the WNBA and college basketball, like let's get more of that. Um, but for Kurt Miller to essentially body shame um, a player, or I, I don't even know what the right word would be, but like for him to go there, to cross that line, um, even in the heat of the moment, even when he was frustrated about calls or non-calls or whatever it was, it just, um, it felt inappropriate. And I was glad, but also not surprised that, um, she called him out about it. And does that also speak to, I mean, I've, I've read about people talk about when you have men coaching women, that sometimes you may, you'll have men cross that line. And then the, the justification will be, hey, I say it to the guys, why is that? Why is it a big deal now that I said this in a women's game? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I like buy that, you know, it's sort yeah. of, it's yeah, like, I mean, it, it, it's something that you definitely hear, you know, that, hey, yeah. if I, if I had yelled at it, Shaq, would that have been the same, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not an equal comparison, but it's one that people will make and say, hey, why is everyone getting mad at what he said when it can be said in another, in, in, when men and maybe people wouldn't react the same? Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's, um, <laughs> I, I appreciated how she chose to respond. I'll just say that. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna speak that way about someone, even in a competitive moment, even in the heat of the moment, whatever it is, um, if you're gonna dish it, you better take it. And he was fined and suspended for a game. And um, I thought the way that Liz responded, I personally felt no issue with that. I take Jason's point to heart. I think in this particular case. Like this particular thing that he said, I don't think he would have said to a dude is is just what it is, because a dude, first of all, is probably supposed to weigh 300 pounds in his mind or, um, you know, in, in, in that case. And, you know, I think in this in this case, he seemed to have been arguing that she is either freakishly large or she is so large that how could she not foul somebody who is smaller than her? Um, so it just doesn't seem like that's the kind of thing that would be said to a male player for that comparison. Well, and I think it's the idea of, and obviously this speaks to like larger themes um, in our society, but men policing women's bodies in terms of what they should look like that, you know what, if there's a 300 pound woman who's playing in the WNBA, like if you can be one of the 144 best basketball players in the world and get into this league, whatever your shape, whatever your size, whatever your skill set, like more power to you. And so I think it, my interpretation was that it kind of struck that chord where and I, you know, friends who were taller growing up, you know, often it's like, oh, you're tall. Do you play basketball? And it like might not be that. It's like, I'm just a tall woman. Like, why do you have to make these assumptions about me? But this idea of sort of making it about size and weight feels like, um, you know, it, I would say it hit that nerve. Um, that was my interpretation. It did hit that nerve. You know, I just, you know, me being being a guy and talking to guys, that's just always one of the things where. It, like I said, to me, it's a bad argument. Well, well, you get those extreme guys will say, well, if the men can take it, why can't the women? But as you said, I don't know if I don't think that would necessarily be how a coach would go about it in, in, with the man. But it always brings you back to when you have, you know, sometimes men coaching women. There may be these instances like this where some guys will jump in and say they'll defend the coach by saying, hey, he's just being fair it, without any nuance or any sense or. Just any common sense in this situation. Well, and I do think that there are probably things that um, that a male coach would say to 
women players that he would say to men players. And I don't think that in those cases, the women would want to be treated with any kind of like special treatment or kid gloves or anything. And like, you know, like Chantal said, these are, these are women, these are women who are used to trash talking and they're not, you know, they're not like, they're not above that. Right. But this just seems, I don't know, this just seemed different. I also have to point out that Liz Cambage is six foot eight and had to weigh herself. So she got it right for her, for her Instagram video, but she is six foot eight and two thirty five, And like Aaron judge is six foot eight and like two eighty five or something like that. So I'm just like the stature of the woman that we are talking about is just, is quite impressive. Well, and I think too, too often it's sort of one of those things where it's like, I think it's easy for specifically, and I hear this a lot with WNBA stuff, right? Like um, comparing the WNBA to the NBA or female athletes to male athletes. But it's like when you have a situation like this and it's like in a negative situation, let's say, and they say, well, you could, you know, you'd say that to a guy and it's like, well, let's let's flip things around. And it's sort of like the success of women athletes, that's not treated the same as men. And so where are these people when they're saying, well, a guy would handle that fine. Like a guy wouldn't take offense to that. Like, where are you when, you know, the Seattle storm wins the the bubble championship and like advocating for them and celebrating them and what they did in a crazy season. Um, So like, I don't think you can, you know, you got to have it both ways in that situation. And I think those, this sort of like select group of people, which I often hear on Twitter, like only show up for certain moments, which I think is also part of it. They have like selective hearing and vision when it comes they to women's sports. <laughs> they definitely show up just for certain things and then they go away and they pop up and yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, she did. It's my last point on this, but she did. She 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 filmed this whole like Instagram stories and then she came back at night like it was a very dramatic postscript because all the lights were off and it was like very clearly nighttime. And she was like, I have to add one more thing. And she actually made a very good point that I think, you know, this is this is not this is not a gendered issue, this point that she made, which was, you know, this is a coach who was saying this. And if she had reacted in the middle of the game to hearing that, or if she had said something similar, she would have been fined. Well, and he, he was fined and he, he was later fined and he was later suspended. But yeah, I think that goes back to my initial point where it's like, you know, players trash talking players, like, you know, I think even if it's whatever gender that we're talking about, whatever sport we're talking about, um, I think there's a decorum for coaches um, and there's a line that you don't cross, um, especially not with opposing players in that situation. But if you're, uh, you know, an opposing player and an opposing player and it's on the floor, like I'm here for it. Right. Chantel, as long as I've talked to you about WNBA stuff, you know that I've, uh, I kind of harp on about one thing and it's when, will a WNBA player get her own signature shoe? And it looks like we're, we're going to have that. Brianna Stewart is getting a shoe um, from Puma, which is very exciting. Why did it take this long? And what does a signature shoe mean for these women for this league? I mean, I, it's probably too long to unpack all the reasons why a woman <laughs> hasn't had a signature shoe in the last, you know, however many decades. But um, I think, for instance, like the Jersey rollout, I didn't think they did a great job of it this year. Um, but there's so much excitement, I would say, behind these 25th anniversary jerseys for the WNBA. Every team has three different jerseys and the amount 
of tweets and the number of people I saw on Twitter that were so stoked about these jerseys and saying like, I'm going to order them. Like, where can I find the shorts? The orange hoodie has become sort of this icon, um, a fashion icon, which is- I feel like I see more men in the orange hoodie than I see women. Yeah. And so it's, you know, I think that- you know, this is a business. And so I think having that that marketability and that visibility is really important. And I think for Stewie to have a shoe is huge because, um, you know, when you watch her play, just sort of the way she impacts the game. I mean, you can you can talk about her player the whole nine yards, but it's just like to have a shoe to be in a store and be able to say like, I want that shoe, young kids, regardless of their gender, like regardless of where they live to be able to have an opportunity to wear like a Stewie shoe. Um, I think that matters. I think that representation and visibility matters. And I think we've seen sort of how it can help grow a sport, um, especially in an era where the WNBA is younger than the NBA. You know, uh, one of the things I've heard from a lot of players is like, don't compare us to the NBA now, compare us to the NBA when they were 25 years in, in the early 70s. The big difference now is that social media allows all of these athletes a direct line to so many more people than you obviously had in the 70s when it was like tape delayed playoff games all the time, right? Um, And so when you see someone like Stewie, the platform that she has, speaking in many different ways, but as a basketball player, to have a shoe, to have people want her jersey, her shoe, that means something for the game. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Following along that line, it's the orange hoodie. You know, I've got one. I think a lot of a lot of guys I know when they saw the pictures of Kobe and Gianna, where she had mm. the you know the jersey, he had the, the orange hoodie on. I know a lot of guys jumped on the hoodie then. And you look at the jerseys and the, the you know the the, the the excitement about the 25th year jerseys. Do you think that also helps debunk the notion that one, the the league isn't marketable, and two, that men won't buy? WNBA merchandise. That's one of the kind of the things people always say when I was covering the league was that, oh, no one, men won't wear that. Like I said, I see more men with the orange hoodie than I see women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with that. I mean, how many, you know, maybe I'm just friends with a lot of like Fairweather sports fans, but, you know, I've been out for drinks or something and I'll see someone, you know, in like some retro throwback uniform. I'm like, I don't know, you were like, a Seattle Supersonics fan. They're like, I'm not, but it's cool Jersey. Or like, I didn't know that you were like, someone just out there rocking a Sean Kemp Jersey. Like, yeah. Like you see these (laughs) things where it's like, you know, that you see, um, I guess it's less so for college, but it's more so for the pros. Like, I didn't know you were like a galaxy fan and they're like, I'm not, but it's a cool Jersey. Or like, you know, we were, um, even, you know, I'll, I'll cop this that like we were in England a few years ago um, and there was this kid in a, in a coffee shop. And I was like, that is a sweet ass Jersey. What team is that? And so I asked him, I'm like, Hey, what, um, who's your team? And he was like, Oh, Bradford city FC. And I was like, I'm a Bradford city fan. They're like, <laughs> not good. They're like really, really not good. But my husband and I now keep track of Bradford city. And we're always like, we need to get the Jersey. We need to get the Jersey. It's um, we should have gotten 
that when we were there. This is a very long-winded story, but like people, you know, if that's something that sort of turns your eye to, oh, this is a cool team. This is a cool league, like whatever gets people through the door. Cause I think that's sort of the, um, if that's what it is great. Like if, if a sweet Jersey, if someone says like, I really like the sea foam for the New York Liberty. Great. If someone really likes the orange hoodie, um, they see NBA players wearing it. They ask questions about it. Great. But I think it's, you know, people want to wear good looking stuff. And I think specifically these jerseys, there's a lot of really good options this year for the 25th anniversary season. Jason, in your in your in your friend groups, are you are you seeing that shifting? Are you seeing more men? I mean, you said that you know you and a bunch of people that you know own the orange hoodie. Do you think that more men are willing to support the W to wear the apparel? If if the shoe if if Stewie shoe is fire, will will men buy that shoe? I think so. I think part of it is too. At my age group, we're older, mm. so some of us have daughters now, and we mm-hmm. look at the league a little differently than maybe we were in our twenties and have any kids. And I do believe that more and more men are watching the games, more interested in the games. And I do believe that last year when you, you know, and I've said it before, the WNBA wasn't about social justice in 2020. This goes back, you know, if you go into Minnesota, Philando Cast, this has been years of the WNBA. And they, and those WNBA players probably took more hits than the NBA players did in terms of protest and, and along those lines. So I think that there's a lot of men who have been noticing that, paying attention. But I do think as, a, as, as we get older, you know, a lot of my friends have daughters who are playing basketball. It becomes more than just, that's what my daughters watch. This is like, this is what we watch. And we'll talk about Breonna Stewart. You know, we'll, you know I'm an LA guy. We'll talk about Candace Parker and not being happy since she went back home to Chicago. So we'll talk about those things now. And then in some cases, it'll be a fact that, hey, Derek Fisher, who was a, who was a Laker, is coaching the Sparks. So there'll be different things, I think, that are hooking men into the game and getting them more interested. And I just hope that it's not just a passing fad where, okay, I'm going to check it out now because it was the cool thing to do this year. And that they just keep building on that. Right. Well, and I think when, you know, to like harp on this point more and more, like it's the most exclusive league that I can think of, like 140 of the best women's basketball players in the world. Like, there's this notion of like, well, they don't dunk the way that the men dunk and they don't do this the way the men do it. And it's like, it's not, it's, it's, that's not why, you know, if that's what you're watching for, like (laughs) it's women playing basketball, it's the WNBA. And so um, I think that's another thing that I've heard. And it's when people say ignorant stuff, it's like, well, how many games have you watched? Have you actually watched like Mm -hmm. these women play have you watched these athletes play um and the answer is normally like well no it's like well you don't know what you're missing out on in terms of the level of play and so and i think that as again college basketball the women's ncaa tournament had its best year all the games were televised i think as that grows um i think nil is going to change this because so many more younger female athletes are going to be known also coming out of college rather than one or two um only at uconn you're going to know more because of nil um legislation and so i just think the game is growing and whatever sort of gets people through the door to realize that the product on the floor is the best it's ever been and so elite is is a good thing and i'll say this anyone whose excuse for not watching is they don't see dunking as my old professor Harry Edwards said, you just don't understand basketball. 
<laughs> if all you're watching for is a dunk, you don't know what you're watching anyway. So you can turn the NBA off as well because you have no clue what's going on on the court. If that's all you're looking for. Chantel, if you had to break this down, are you are you encouraged by the ratings that you've seen? Are you encouraged by the numbers, um, by the engagement? Um, and then also just kind of as a side note, what the hell was going on with the camera quality in, in that opening weekend? <laughs> Yeah. So I guess, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Um, no, I mean, so I, I haven't gotten an exact clarification on this yet. Like all the, the ratings are up, right? Like more people are tuning in at the same, like at the same time, more games are on TV than have been on TV before. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know exactly how that all shakes out. Um, but that's where I think it's really important for for the media to cover these games, for the TV quality when people tune in, for it to be, you know, not grainy, not look like there's smoke in the building, um, be able to tell who the players are on the floor. That's important. Um, rather than being like, that person's tall. I think it's, uh, I can't really see their number. People legitimately um, thought it was a throwback clip from when the league started 25 years ago. <laughs> I mean, it looked like it. And it was like, it's my job to watch these games. And I was like, I don't know how long I can watch this. <laughs> like, This is tough. Um, but no, I think I would say, you know, sort of, there's quantitative evidence that it's growing, right? And I think all of that is good. But I would also say the qualitative evidence is just as important that, um, and I would say, I see that in conversations on Twitter. Um, Jason, maybe you're seeing this in conversations with your friends who weren't, you know, WNBA fans a few years ago, that this comes into conversation more um, just randomly than five, 10 years ago. Um, People are watching more. And so they're talking about it more. They're tweeting about it more. They're posting about it more. They're going to games more. I think, um, you know, people are excited to be back in arenas watching sporting events. I have um, two friends who live in Brooklyn who are not basketball fans that went to the Liberty game. And they texted me and said, you know, we went and saw Benaj and Sabrina play. And I was like, what? (laughs) You did what on a, on like a Thursday night? What? But I think that gives me sort of, um, the same insight in a way that I think the numbers do. I think the anecdotes and the qualitative evidence of how it just authentically comes up in conversation that people who wouldn't normally tweet about the WNBA are tweeting about jerseys or the hoodie or players or shoes or whatever it is, you know, again, that gets people through the door and realize that the product on the court is incredible. Um, I'm just seeing more of it. Yeah, Chantel, and, and we, we talk about the discussion that the league coming up in this, you know, casual conversation, which brings me to one of those, I call them those great barbershop discussions we always have about, about leagues, you know, Who's the best in the league? Who are the top five? <laughs> who stands out? So just for you, who are your top five players in the league right now? Oh, my gosh. You put me on the spot like that. <laughs> this was not something I was prepared for. Oh, gosh. So, shoot. Um, are we talking? So I'm going to put my reporter hat on. Are we talking that are playing at this moment? Like, am I talking about a starting five, the five people that like, if they're playing one-on-one, you don't want to play against, like, what are we, what are give we me your starting, here? Give me your, I'm your starting five. Like oh, you're your starting five. Okay. We like very Let's much see. did put her on the spot, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. No, I got this. Uh, 
it's really hard because there's so many now I'm thinking about like pairings and, you know, do I want that stretch four who's going to shoot the three and spread the floor and pair it off someone like Sylvia Fowles or Brittany Griner, like a true center. And I think probably if I'm putting my like coach hat on, all right. If I'm putting something together and this is like a team that I think would do really well, um, people who are playing well right now, and man, I'd also kind of want to do this for like young players because I'm looking at my list right now and it's skewing sort of towards veterans. But I'm going to go and this is I'm going to go Sue Bird at the point, Arike Ogunbowale for the buckets. Um, she can also play a little point if we need her to swing over there. Um, she's obviously great off ball. Diana Tarazi and Brianna Stewart and John Paul Jones. I'm like struggling here, but I do like the idea of Sylvia Fowles and in, in the paint to sort of clean things up. She's playing great. Cheryl Reeves, obviously trying to like limit her minutes and stuff. And I feel like so many people are going to be like, what you left this person out, but that's probably what makes it so good. Right. Then you could at the same token, like do like younger players where like Sabrina Ionesco at the one Arike at the two Satu Sabali has to be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Michaela Anyanwede, you know, rookie with New York right now. So it's hard. Like, that's a really hard question. That's a really that's, hard question. That's why the debates are so fun, because you can go so many different ways and <laughs> everyone can be right. And there's really not a wrong answer to it. Well, like, I know. And it's so ridiculous. This. I didn't put Asia Wilson in there. Like, right. that's the crazy the thing. Like, MVP. Asia. Right. So you could put Asia in there. I mean, <sighs> And when we talk about trash talk, that's why you want Diana. She'll meet you in the lobby. Obviously. (laughs) He's the MVP of that. Well, and this is this goes back to the whole thing that we were talking about with, you know, when you've got a, a league of 12 teams and 144 players, everyone is all star caliber, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's an impossible question. It's a great question. Um, and I'm sure my Twitter mentions are going to light up like you left out Jewel Lloyd, you left out so-and-so you left out Sabrina, you know, she just got like a triple double that never happens in the WNBA. Um, but it's a hard, it's a hard question. Well, speaking of Sabrina, you know, we obviously were robbed of a proper rookie season with her, with her going down with injury last year. Um, and it was, just obviously just a weird season all around, but you know, it's, it's early right now. Um, What have you seen from her is, is the promise being fulfilled essentially? Yeah. I'm, you know, she, she had a rough night recently, but it's like, you know, she's what 10, 11 games into her WNBA career. Um, That is going to happen. It's going to happen if you're 10, 11 years into your WNBA career. But I think, you know, again, sort of, you can look at the qualitative and the quantitative and and the quantitative is there. The stats are there. The wins are there. The way that she has elevated the Liberty and what they've built around her is there. But I think sort of the qualitative where, um, gosh, you think back to that step back three, she hit to put the Liberty ahead and she's running back and her teammates are running onto the floor and she turns to them and she says, no, 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 go back to the bench, go back to the bench. Like we still have like what a second and a half left. Mm -hmm. And so sort of that wherewithal, of like, don't celebrate. This is not, you know, but she's a handful of games into her WNBA career, but has that sort of the head on her shoulders to realize like, this is bigger. There's stuff going on. The clock hasn't gone yet. Like we're going to celebrate, but right now it's like everyone chill out because we have to play defense. And I think that's when I look at her and think like, you know, I watched her play a bunch at Oregon that has translated sort of that calm, cool, collected 
person who can step up, you know, is not afraid of any big moment, can run a team. She's somehow exceeded expectations, which seems insane given what has been placed on her in this league. Right. Well, Chantelle, I, I pretty much just have one more question. You know, it is Pride Month. And as we are recording this on Tuesday, you can add Florida to another state that has passed an anti-trans athlete bill. Laisha Clarendon, um, another one of the victims of a stacked roster who had to be left off, you know, the, the Liberty essentially, and now is with the Lynx. What does it mean to have somebody, you know, who is, who is openly trans and openly non-binary in the league? Well, I think it's, you know, sports are important because they give people an opportunity to, obviously sports is great, but it gives you an opportunity to talk about things that are bigger than sports, which sounds like, you know, some tagline, but it's true, right? And I think the WNBA is really unique in that, to go back to Jason's point of like, this is a league that has been standing up for what's right for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Elizabeth Williams, who plays for The Dream, had said last year, you know, female athletes are inherently political. They've had to fight. Um, They're used to this. I think back to the NCAA tournament this year when, you know, obviously the women didn't get as much as the men and all of the women sort of said, we're used to this, like we're used to fighting for equal. Um, And I think to have someone like Leisha, who for listeners who maybe don't know, um, Leisha uses all pronouns, he, she, they, um, that is in vernacular. That is in sports writing vernacular. Now, if I'm writing a story about Leisha, I will use he, she, they pronouns Mm -hmm. for this player. Um, I think people say now athletes in the WNBA because it's it's inclusive. And I think when you look to the college ranks, there are athletes who are including they, them pronouns now mm-hmm. that maybe before Leisha, I don't know, maybe there is more fear there around that. Like, is there a path for me? Will the WNBA be as accepting of this? And the WNBA has been entirely accepting. And I think the fact that this is a league that speaks with personal experience and authority on so many different issues. It's really important to sports as a whole. Um, it's really important to culture and to our society as a whole. And it's so disappointing to sort of see, you know, Ron DeSantis added to the list, not surprising, but, mm-hmm. you know, Leja had an op-ed, I think in Marie Claire, and they wrote, you know, the fight to keep trans people out of sports. It's not about protecting cis women. It's it's just not. It's about anti-trans legislation. It's about policing bodies. And so obviously a frustrating day, obviously a devastating day to sort of see more legislation put out there, knowing that sports are such a positive thing for, for youth, knowing what sports can do and knowing that the suicide risk for transgender high school students is 28% higher than it is for cisgender students. And that somehow those people are not seen by their legislators, by the people who represent them. It's, it's devastating. Right. Yeah. Shout out to Lacia. She attended the uh, greatest public university in the world, of course, you know, <laughs> university of California. So I've been following her way back in that <laughs> final four run, <laughs> but this one, the, um, uh, ask you just before we get out of here, you know, last year was a big year in terms of visibility for the WNBA in part due to the uh, social justice work, you know, the Atlanta dream and so many other players, players opting out. I think it brought a lot of attention to the league. 
and just the work that the players have been doing for years that maybe didn't get attention. Looking at you know this 25th anniversary season, has that brought more attention to the league? Is that going to help the league, you think, in terms of eyes on the games going forward? Not just this year, but just continually, just because now people are looking at the league and, and saying, wow, they're, they're doing a lot of good work and they're playing good basketball. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's it's all momentum that results in the growth of the league, I would say. Um, but it's also a league that's being true to itself. It is a league that is 80% black women. It is a league that is inclusive. It is a league that is, as you said, stood up for black lives, you know, before other teams and athletes did publicly, because this is a league of black women. It is a league that is inclusive and that is forward thinking and progressive. And so I think there are a lot of people that want that in their sports. I think there's also some people who don't and that that group of people usually are very vocal on Twitter. And those are probably also the same people that are, um, you know, pissed that women don't dunk like men. And so it's sort of like as they grow their following, you know, I don't think anyone is surprised. Maybe Kelly Leffler was, but I don't think anyone is surprised if you start following the WNBA that it is going to be a league that sticks up for equality in every sense of the word. Well, thank you, Chantel, so much for joining us. Um, I can't wait to have you on again and talk more women's hoops. Try to get some rest because I know you're also covering college and, and there's just all kinds of things going on there. So I appreciate you joining us, Jason. Always great to talk to you as usual. And thanks to everyone for listening to Culture Calculus. If you like our show, please, you know, like and rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.